Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and internationally. Today, Peter Mandelson, Global Council's chairman, and John Fingleton, Fingleton Associates founder and CEO, discuss the politics of mergers and acquisitions in the UK, Europe and globally. John, let's have a discussion about the politics of M&A and how this is changing. Um, We first got to know each other and worked together when you headed up the OFT and I was Secretary of State for Business uh, in 2008 uh, to 10. I think it's true to say at that time we both agreed and we operated on the basis that M&A control is really uh, off limits for politicians, that it was intervention was a matter for regulators and on a sort of evidence-based analysis of competition policy, not bringing in all, all manner of political considerations and responding to political pressures, quite honestly, uh, although I had my moment at the time of Cadbury and, and, and Kraft. Now, that reflected a whole post-war era that was sort of enshrined whole ethos that was enshrined in the Monopolies and Mergers Commission when that was created uh, after the war and has seen us very well and was sort of further reinforced and embedded in the Enterprise Act in 2002. I mean, what was that orthodoxy and to what extent now would you say that it is coming under pressure? So the orthodoxy was that decisions on mergers were best taken by competition authorities on the basis of evidence. Um, The the, the rationale for that was that twofold, really. One is that um, if you use um, political interference in mergers to achieve other policy objectives, you will very often result in, in championing certain private interests over the public interest because it's very difficult for politicians not to... Um, give in to lobbying by, by, by powerful interests in a heated situation, which a merger generally is. And secondly, a view that government had other policy instruments to achieve employment, to achieve pension security, to protect intellectual property, and that we shouldn't be randomly intervening in individual mergers to achieve those objectives, but doing them across the board more systematically. So, in fact, you're saying you have policy instruments that you can deal with yeah. the consequences or the implications yeah. or the effects uh, of, of, yeah. of, of market activity in this way and you should concentrate on those. Don't start equipping yourself with instruments yeah. uh, that, would, that, that would lead you into um, an area of market activity where you are simply not equipped to make yeah. objective judgments. It is very, very similar to Bank of, in the arguments around Bank of England independence which is you should set interest rates to control inflation and then use fiscal and other policies to grow the economy, but not try to intervene short term in interest rate decisions to try and alter non-inflationary aspects of the macroeconomy. Okay. So in effect, what the, what the Labour government's 2002 Enterprise Act did was to double down on this independence. Yeah. It was already, I think, from the, actually from the time of Norman Tebbit, the Tebbit Doctrine was that governments shouldn't intervene yeah. um, in merger policy, and although they had the power to, they generally um, didn't intervene. And the 2002 Act just made that law. I'm not sure that we'd like to be seen as on a continuum with Norman Tebbit, but I take the point uh, <laughs> that, that you're making. Um, but it, and that's how things 
uh, remained. I mean, they, in the wake of the yeah. banking crisis, I, of course, introduced financial yeah. stability along with media yeah. plurality and national security as consideration. Yeah as a main consideration for intervention, but that was the only adjustment yeah. I did. That was, of course, to enable uh, Lloyds and HBOS merger yeah. to go ahead. I mean, the, the, there were always the exemptions for media plurality and national security, and that was to recognize that a merger might be fine from a competition point of view, but might not be fine from a media plurality point of view, um, because it takes out an important uh, voice, for example, out of the media, or from a national security point of view, it could be perfectly okay from a competition perspective, but not good to have uh, important defence assets passing to a foreign government. The the, um, the 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 bigger question with Lloyd's H boss was that this was not um, about stopping a merger that wasn't anti-competitive. It was about allowing one that was potentially anti-competitive, yes. a bit like Siemens Alstom uh, yeah. debate recently. So you you were trying to protect from both of those things to stop politicians blocking perfectly okay mergers or attaching conditions to them but also to stop them creating national champions by allowing anti-competitive mergers by powerful vested interests. Yeah. Now I was uh, in the wake of uh, Cadbury uh, Craft uh, I came under pressure to re- yes. review this and say well actually perhaps th- there is a national interest a much broader, wider consideration uh, that should be introduced here. Now I rebuffed the pressure that I came under to sort of basically abandon the uh, uh, the post-war ethos and the doubling down on the independence, as I've said, of the 2002 Act. And I did so, and I remember very, being very conscious of this, that I didn't actually want, as Secretary of State, to be given those tools. I didn't want to be given the powers because I thought that a Secretary of State inevitably would come under such huge political pressure, whether it be from the trade unions or from the Daily Mail and the Sun or whatever, um, to misuse those powers uh, and to start intervening in response to short-term political pressures, not sort of longer-term you know, uh, good either of those uh, companies concerned or of competition policy as a whole. And that's where it sort of remained until relatively recently. Yes. What's happening now? I mean, I think the certainly one of the turning points was Theresa May's Birmingham speech, where she said very clearly that um, we should change our merger policy to protect um, domestic firms from foreign takeover. That's did she it. knew? Did she know quite what? The well, I mean, she said in the significance of in the next paragraph, saying. she said we should be putting consumers and employees on the boards of companies. And what was ironic about that? speech, you know, three weeks after the Brexit referendum, was these were two policies that Britain had staunchly um, opposed in within the European Union for the previous 20 or 30 years. We tried to have, you know, uphold um, a good corporate governance and <clears throat> not having um, workers on, on, on boards of companies or consumers on boards of companies but have a sort of a different approach to corporate governance. And we also tried to resist uh, German-style or French-style industrial policy creeping into um, uh, European competition policy. And French-style industrial policy was generally trying to block acquisitions of German comp- of, of French companies. And Germans were often trying to create national champions within Germany. So they were pulling at the system in different ways. And the UK was very much the arguing... Um, for the position you've outlined of, 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 of neutrality. So I think Theresa May's speech 
created a carte blanche for greater ministerial intervention. But what you're saying, perhaps, is, is this reflects a yeah. fundamental change in our politics, which, let's be honest, is frankly more populist-driven, uh, that the electorate more angry, consumers more uh, angry, that they demand of politicians more intervention, greater protection, uh, a different sort of definition of, uh, of what sort of the national interest yes. or the public interest uh, is, and that politicians, rather than leaving it to regulators, now should control regulators yes. in a way that reflects public opinion and its anger. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of like a river that has all these additional streams coming into it. So the aftermath of Cadbury Craft was that the Cadbury reneged on promises the chief executive of Craft, or Craft reneged on promises the chief executive had made to the Business Select Committee. That undermined confidence um, and caused changes. So that's... that's no, a, I think Irene Rosenthal has a rather yeah. a lot to answer for. But, <laughs> you know, and then um, Pfizer-AstraZeneca raised new questions, and that's sort of another stream flowing into this. Yeah. And, and so it builds up, and so you get this like large um, uh, mass of opinion suddenly developing around, we should intervene politically in, these, in mergers and have ministerial decision-making again. I would distinguish between two situations. One is... Um, uh, foreign takeovers of domestic assets, where I think globally we're seeing much more protectionism, much more caution about allowing foreign takeovers of domestic assets. Where it's a state-owned enterprise, um, or where it's a company based in what is considered to be, say, a hostile um, or, or less friendly government, there's going to be more caution. And you're seeing that uh, you know, Trump has strengthened um, the CFIUS rules in the United States that control foreign takeover. The Australians have strengthened their rules, and we're strengthening our rules. And then there's a separate debate about domestic-to-domestic -domestic mergers that increase concentration, where there's a view that um, uh, there's a view that, that in, with those mergers we have been too light on them, and there should be more intervention. So it's, it's sort of a pincer movement. It's coming in both directions. I mean, my experience of this, John, dates back to when I was trade commissioner of the European Union because I came under a lot of pressure from not just France, but quite a lot of member states, who said that I was taking far too naive a view. You know, this, you know, I remember President Sarkozy describing me as a sort of a mere functionaire, a technocrat who didn't understand you know, the great changes that were enveloping the global economy and that Europe was now facing yeah. a sort of massive pressures and export of Chinese capital and a wave of of takeovers and foreign investment that were going to sort of, you know, strip away our industrial hinterland, and that I had to use trade policy basically more aggressively and in a more protectionist uh, uh, way. So that is part of the landscape uh, that we're dealing yeah. with now, and it's uh, certainly been strengthened or, 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 in, or, or emboldened. But just coming back to the British approach here, I think that you would find that ministers and Whitehall would say, well, we don't want ministers directly getting more involved, but we've got to be more political in our approach. You know, we've got to take a broader, wider view of the national interest and um, the needs of consumers, etc. So rather than get it, equipping ourselves with new powers, let's put in a politician, an ex-politician, to head the... Uh, uh, you know, competition and mergers authority, the CMA. Let's put in Andrew Thierry there, who's a rather more muscular and opinionated uh, uh, person who's, uh, than anyone who's held that role uh, uh, be 
before. Um, yes, he's sort of very astute, very agile politician, but he's going to be more muscular, so he can do this job for us. Is that what we're seeing now? I mean, there's a, <clears throat> there's an element of that, and certainly <clears throat> somebody like Andrew has a, you know a great deal of political nous and knows what people in Parliament think, and that there are benefits to that. Um, in an organisation like the CMA, which of course is taking on state aid responsibility as well, which is another lightning rod where politicians will want to make short-term decisions that are different than the, probably the, the right long-term decisions. So it may be helpful for the CMA to have somebody um, at its apex who has is very well connected politically and is able to use that to withstand political pressure. But, of course, the concern in the other direction is that the political pressure seeps into um, in the CMA's thinking um, across a range of issues. So I think we're at a turning point in seeing whether this sort of greater politicization gets resolved by making the CMA slightly more political or giving greater decision-making powers to ministers. And I, I don't think we can say yet which of those two worlds we're in. And... Where, for example, in the respect of digital competition, the firm review, where will that lead to? Because there is a, there is a real feeling that you know big tech is rolling all over us, calling the shots. Uh, that we really have got to stand up for consumer interests and the need for privacy, and that, that we just cannot parcel over to them the amount of sort of dominance and power and control that they're currently exercising, and we've got to be tougher. So the, the Furman Review has already probably had one impact, which is that the CMA is now using its current existing merger powers um, more aggressively where there are takeovers of technology, small technology companies by larger ones. So it blocked, or it effectively um, blocked um, the Experian acquisition of ClearScore in November. It's currently looking at PayPal's acquisition of a European technology company, iZettle, that does uh, um, payments. And, um, and that is seen as very much um, different than its uh, approach to Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Google Ways, and cases like that. Where, Do they feel that they were too slow, well, too lenient? I think... Too light-handed in relation to those? Yes, the, that, that argument is made, but if you look at what Instagram was doing at the time Facebook bought it, it wasn't a competitor of Facebook at that time in any sense, so it would have been quite difficult, even if it had taken it to phase two, for it to look out five years into the future and work out where technology is going. And this is one of the problems with technology mergers, is that unlike... Uh, mergers in traditional industries where the past is a reasonably good guide to the future in technology where you have a lot of strategic repositioning and new product development market definitions change quite rapidly and it's very difficult for a competition authority to work out whether two products are going to be strong competitors so in, in sense, the future. So what you're saying is because of these profound changes that are taking place in their impact competition policy and its running has got to be far more agile. Yes. It's got to be able to refine and adapt much more quickly, but that is not, shouldn't necessarily be the same as politicisation no. of those decisions. And that is a very good point. And the, 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 we will see, I think, competition authorities erring on the side of blocking transactions that they might previously have allowed out of caution, particularly where they involve tech companies or they involve highly concentrated markets. 
And they will justify that by saying that the evidence on the value added from mergers generally is not that they, on average, add a great deal of value, so that the economic harm done from a tighter approach to mergers um, will, um, you know, won't be great, and therefore that's a justifiable approach. So I think it will be more difficult to get mergers through in the next decade than it has been in the last decade, not just in the UK, but in other jurisdictions as well. So this is not a, a UK phenomenon. We're talking about a change in the global environment, yeah. uh, uh, but also the emergence through that of a sort of greater sense of how can I put it, global realpolitik, yeah. when it comes to determining these matters. Yeah. You're seeing at a global level the the geopolitical debate, the China-U.S. debate, and where Europe is and whether Europe should have a more activist policy as one debate. You're seeing a second debate, which is that competition policy has been lax and allowed markets to become too concentrated. That debate has been led in the United States, but has seeped in here. You're seeing a third debate that we're not being strong enough on tech companies, and that's also a global debate. And then there's a fourth debate, which is much more specifically UK debate about vulnerable consumers that we've had in energy markets and banking and a whole of other markets. We've had companies that have been too clever for their own good and have learned how to exploit um, vulnerable consumers and behavioural biases and basically to give vulnerable consumers less good deals than more astute consumers. And you see that coming up in the um, citizens' advice complaint about loyalty penalties, energy banking and other areas. And that's much more of a UK-specific concern, um, but the others are all global. So the upshot of this, in conclusion, is that anyone who is involved in any professional way uh, in this uh, market activity, just need to be much more aware of and conscious yeah. of the political dimensions and the political stakeholders who are involved. They've got to realise that all these need addressing and managing, not necessarily by hyperactivity, yeah. by the way. Sometimes uh, you would address these pressures by being sort of less active or yeah. even inactive, but you've got to bake them yeah. in at the beginning uh, of your analysis of, uh, yeah. of how you're going to uh, uh, cope with this uh, uh, control. Uh, and you've got to be much more conscious of the need to understand uh, and come to terms with political stakeholders from the outset rather than simply adding, adding on a response to them or a management uh, of them as an afterthought. So I think there are three things companies need to get right. They need to understand how the technical approach of the CMA um, is changing and how that might affect their deal. They need to understand, secondly, how politicians are going to look at it and how, uh, and whether they need to have, um, how, how they address political concerns because the CMA won't be immune to that. And then thirdly, the intersection of those two, how the political system interacts with the CMA during that process. And so they, they, it's essential to have both the, the political expertise um, and NAS alongside the technical, the understanding of, of the subtleties of the technical change and the integration of those two. And, and the companies that get that right will do better than the ones that don't. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, Peter. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website, www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.